Hello, everyone. Welcome to that Broad Scott Moxie. This is Cassie by myself in the podcast dome. Uh, Kiana was not joking when she said this was weird <laughs> in a room talking to no one in particular. So, how's everyone doing? Quarantining. Staying at home, if you can, hopefully. If you're an essential worker, if you work at a grocery store, if you're a nurse, if you're a teacher trying to do anything online, like, everybody, good job. Like, everyone deserves a round of applause just for living through this (laughs) and doing our best to make it through the day. Because as a fucking unemployed person right now, I realize that it's very important to stay at home and stay healthy and thank you guys for doing the same or like I said if you're out there fighting the good fight thank you we will all make it through this so you know what here's a little story a little tale of awesome ladies for you for this week and um yeah we'll just keep doing this and we'll make it through uh okay here we go so I'm just going to jump right in. It is uh, it's almost May, which is bananas. And baseball season has started. Well, it would have started. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we'll just go ahead and jump in here. When the United States entered World War II, everything was a bummer. Obviously, the world had completely turned upside down and life changed very quickly for the women who remained at home when their husbands and fiancés and fathers and brothers went off to war. All us ladies were stuck here going, okay, what do we do now? Women took on the role of single parent and main provider. These badass ladies took on jobs that men left empty. So everyone's working hard, being patriotic, and desperately missing the all-American pastime, baseball. Due to the lack of men and gasoline rationing that was limiting travel, many people believe that Major League Baseball would cease. Luckily, a guy named Philip Wrigley, a chewing gum manufacturer, and owner of the Chicago Cubs, yes, like Wrigley's Chewing Gum, and also Wrigley Field in Chicago, had this crazy idea to let girls play baseball. And thus, the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League was born. The women's initial tryouts were held at Wrigley Field in Chicago. They were scouted from amateur softball games from across the country, and over 200 women were invited to try out, and about 60 were selected for the league's roster. And the original, there were originally four teams, and there were 64 girls spread out among those four teams. Like the men's teams, the girls' league was also informally, quote-unquote, informally segregated. So no African-Americans were recruited or hired, which is some serious bullshit because I'm telling you, 
as a fan of baseball and softball, come on, come on. But it's 1940s, like, what do we expect, really? Uh, Women were selected for their skilled ability to play, but the player also needed to fit with what was seen by marketers as a, quote, wholesome feminine ideal, a.k.a. they had to be pretty, they had to be well-read, and polite. And then the first game was played on May 30th, 1943. Again, can I just reiterate real quick how awkward it is to be sitting in here by myself. The cats are just on the other side of the door. Like, what are you doing in there just chatting by yourself? I don't even talk on the phone like by myself because I always have it on speakerphone. So it always sounds like there's two voices in here. Not today. Just me feeling like a weirdo. Okay. Anyway. In the first season, the league played a game that was a hybrid of baseball and softball. The ball was regulation size, was like a regulation size softball, which is at the time, I think it was like 11 or 12 inches around. That seems like a really big ball. (laughs) Like I played softball and I don't think it's that big anymore. Anyway, the pitcher's mound was only 40 feet away from home base instead of like, I don't know, the 60 feet, six inches that a baseball mound is and the bases were a lot closer together by like 25 feet. But over the course of its nine year history, the women proved that they could play ball just like the men. And so they slowly but surely like moved everything back and essentially quote made it harder and changed everything to almost exact like standard baseball regulations. The baseball players were paid pretty well, all things considered, considering there were a ton of women doing other really shitty jobs and getting paid poorly for them. Um, Their salaries ranged from $45 to $85, which in like now money is $665 to $1,256 a week. And that was during their first like year or two years of playing. And that went up to about $125, which is $1,523 in today money. And again, like that was per week, but that was later after they had already proven themselves. I feel like I'm talking really fast. Am I talking really fast? I just, there's no one here to conversate with. And so I'm just like flying through my information. It's wild. Okay. So now uniforms. So the girls' uniforms were modeled after like figure skating and field hockey and tennis outfits of the time. It consisted of a belted short sleeved tunic dress with a slight flare of the skirts, which sounds really cute. Also, I've seen them. They are so cute. They included satin shorts for, you know, obviously don't want to see your knickers, knee-high socks, and a baseball cap. Rules stated that the skirts were to be worn no more than six inches above the knee, because that would be scandalous, obviously. 
but the regulation was often ignored so that the players could run, bat, and field balls. Obviously, you can't squat if in a skirt unless you expect it to like, er, er, er. good thing they're wearing sent shorts or there would just be exposed labia everywhere. So also they had like a circular team logo that was sewn on the front of their dress. So it was like a patch designed after their city's seal. So they were like cute and really fashionable. <laughs> so during spring training, the girls were required to attend Helena Rubenstein's evening charm school classes. The proper etiquette etiquette for every situation was taught and every aspect of personal hygiene mannerisms and dress code was presented to all the players in an effort to make each player as physically attractive as possible each girl received a beauty kit and instructions on how to use it because that's the most important part of this game is looking good as a part of the league's quote rules of conduct the girls were not permitted to have short hair. They could not smoke or drink in public places. And they were required to wear lipstick at all times. <laughs> so like, oh, the patriarchy thinks. But also, I love a red lip at bat. So great. I've always played softball and lipstick. You know what? If it's your thing, go for it. I love it. Fines for not following the league's rules of conduct were $5 for the first offense, $10 for the second, and for your third, you would be suspended from games. In 1944, Josephine Jojo D'Angelo was fired for cutting her hair short. Because again, the patriarchy at work. The women's contracts were much stricter about behavior than in the men's league, obviously, and each team was also assigned its own chaperone uh, by the league. So they'd get some, you know, <laughs> someone who didn't have anything better to do with their time than ride around on a bus, keeping these girls in check, which, come on, who doesn't want that job? But also, it'd be like the cool RA in the dorm that's like, I mean, just keep it down. Like, like don't get too crazy, but like, go have fun. That, that's what I would do. Okay, so here's the teams. Because, well, I love the teams and I think they deserve to, you know, know who they are. So we have the Kenosha Comets, the Racine Bells, Rockford Peaches, South Bend Blue Sox, Milwaukee Chicks, Minneapolis Millerets, Fort Wayne Daisies, Grand Rapids Chicks. Oh, we got two chicks. Muskegon Lassies, Peoria Red Wings, Chicago Colleens, <laughs> Springfield Sallies, oh, Kalamazoo Lassies. We got Right now we got a couple of we got a couple of chicks, we got a couple of lassies, Battle Creek Bells and the Muskegon Bells. Those two are uh, also teams but they were like shorter lived teams. So we got some bells, we got some lassies, we got some chicks. I love the Rockford Peaches because well, obviously. And <laughs> I like the Chicago Colleens. That's that's a pretty sweet name. 
So, oh, this is a hell of an acronym. The AAGPBL, there we go, that's all the letters, received extensive publicity from its inception throughout the 1940s and into the early 50s. The league was featured in both national periodicals such as Time, Life, 17 Newsweek, and American Magazine, as well as in local city newspapers. They were also talked about on the radio all the time. Like, they were a hit. They did short films talking about the ladies and, like, newsreels showing them playing baseball. Like, it was a big thing. The AAGPBL peaked in attendance during the 1948 season when 10 teams attracted 910,000 paying fans. So 1948, there were almost a million people paying to see girls play baseball, and that is fucking awesome. Okay. When the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League was unable to continue in 1955, its history and significance were forgotten by baseball historians. And why is that? Because most history is written by men, and they casually like to forget about us. Many people in the 1950s thought that women were not supposed to play baseball, as it was a, quote, man's game, and unfortunately, many female athletes were forced to put their energy elsewhere. The game and players were finally remembered in 1980 when former pitcher June Peppas launched a newsletter project to get in touch with friends, teammates, and opponents that resulted in the league's first reunion in Chicago, Illinois in 1982. So almost 30 years after their last game had been played. In 1986, historian and baseball card publisher Sharon Repke began circulating a petition to get the Baseball Hall of Fame to recognize the All-American Girls Baseball League and asked the players at the reunion to organize to help the effort. A meeting was held at the South Bend home of Fran Jansen and the Players Association was born. June Peppis, who launched that first newsletter, was nominated president. So, the game was forgotten for almost 30 years. And then this woman is like, you know what? That was a fucking great time. I want to get my girls together, do like a reunion, and maybe play some fucking baseball. That's what they're good at. That's why they were playing professional baseball. So, took 30 years for that to happen. And then another 10 years after that, the amazing Penny Marshall directed one of my very favorite movies, A League of Their Own. So she directed this movie in 1992. And although many parts of the film are fictionalized, the basic premise of like how the game was played and how it all got started and et cetera, et cetera, is basically the the truth. They obviously made it just a really good story but also the basic idea is there so gina davis as the catcher Dottie henson and Lori petty as kit keller play two sisters recruited from rural oregon to come to chicago to try out for the for the league there they meet rosie o'donnell who plays doris murphy and madonna who plays 
all the way May are a couple of brassy New York broads. Like, no joke. They are, May is a dancer, Doris is a bouncer, they're besties, but they're also like, take no bullshit, smoking cigarettes, drinking beers, dancing, the whole thing. They're badasses. And then, I know he's not a moxie broad, but Tom Hanks <laughs> plays a disgraced, drunk ex-baseball player who turns into the coach of the Rockford Peaches. He's great, but he's not a, he's not a moxie broad. So, here's a PSA. If you have not seen this movie, go to Amazon Prime and rent it for $4. I promise you, it's a classic it's a timeless movie it's so good everyone is so good in it it will make you laugh it will make you cry it will make you want to go play baseball I mean it's just the best I just can't like tell you how good it is okay so the see there's a theme song it's the actual like official song of the league and it's in the movie it was written by Pepper Pear and Nalda Bird. And now I'm going to sing some of it for you. Because <laughs> I figured since Kiana <laughs> sang a little ditty for you last week, I'd I would commiserate and take a crack at it for myself. Okay, so here goes. I am not a singer, but you know what? You're gonna like it. And here we go. Batter up, hear that call. The time has come for one and all to play ball. All right, this is the good part. That was a little much. We are the members of the All-American League. We come from cities near and far. We've got Canadians, Irish ones, and Swedes. We're all for one. We're one for all. We're all American. There you go. That's, I was, Danny and I were dinking around the other day, and I was like, oh, I'm going to do a league of their own. And like the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League for my episode on Tuesday. And Danny was like, okay, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I'm just going to sing. That's the main that's mainly what I'm going to do. Everything else I'm just going to like fill in. I did do research. Obviously, you guys can tell. But also, you're welcome for my me gracing you with this stunning voice of mine. I'm just kidding. I'm garbage trash. My sister, oh my God, my sister sings like a sweet baby angel. Anyway, where was I? Okay, singing, that's done. The All-American Girls Professional Baseball League is the forerunner of later day professional league sports played by women. And although the, oh boy, AAGPBL <laughs> was the first recorded professional women's baseball league, women have played baseball since the 19th century. The first known women's baseball team played at Vassar College in 1866, and they were called the Bloomer Girls. Which I thought was just a fun fact that I thought I should throw in and share with you. So that's it, ladies and gentlemen. 
that's what we got. I hope I didn't like, I hope this is like more than five minutes by the time Danny's done editing it. So yeah, that's all we've got. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We love that. We're trying to make it through this and do the best we can with just recording ourselves by ourselves. Please check us out on our social medias. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at that broads got Moxie and on Twitter at broads got Moxie. And you can also email us if you need a laugh, if you need, if you have some questions, if you have some suggestions. Uh, go ahead and email us. We are at thatbroadscottmoxie at gmail.com. Uh, I, we would love to hear from you. So yeah, uh, take care of yourself. Take care of your family around you, your friends, but also like stay home, stay healthy. We just need to, need to get past this. It might be a while yet, but like keep listening. <laughs> We're going to keep putting out real top-notch material for you. I'll try not to sing anymore in my future episodes. So yeah, take care everyone. Bye. Music by Sage Krenning. Cover art by Vinny Navarrete. Produced and edited by Danielle Barsanti. Side effects of listening to this podcast may include excessive moxie, zero tolerance for the patriarchy, sass mouth, excessive sweating, tipsy tittering, desire to stick it to the metaphorical man, fear of cats, empowering women, clammy hands and feet, the inability to do math, lack of patience for the bullshit, thirst for knowledge, questioning the system, cravings for bougie chicken, vodka, and justice, and in some cases can cause death on hills.